Welcome to Buddies, Books, and Blockbusters, the podcast where a buddy and I compare a famous book to its blockbuster. So this week's trivia question was, what are the different horcruxes? And here is the answer. Seven, the seven horcruxes. Okay, so the first one. She's British, um, y'all. <laughs> the first one's the diary, yeah? Right, right. That's the first one we see, isn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. Well, we see the diary. Right, right. And then, um, well, we just, we went through them. So let's go through the, the Hogwarts houses. <laughs> there's the Slytherin's Locket. Right. And then there's... Um, the uh, Hufflepuff's cup, which, right. you know, lift up your cups, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and then there's up. Gryffindor's sword, which is not a horcrux, it but it does, it does bear mentioning. Um, the Diadem of Ravenclaw, so that's four so far, haven't I? Yes. Yeah. And then the ring, the ring that we just talked about. Right. Um, that's five. That's five. And then I want to save the best for last. All right. You got this. I, I know you do. I'm, I'm just trying to think of what the the middle one is. So we've got the four things. We've got the diary and the ring. Oh yeah, of course, the two living ones. Um, <laughs> the, the the snake. Nagini. Right, Nagini. Um, which I wonder how long Nagini would have lived anyway. And then the last right. one. Right. The is, last of course, one. The one, the only, the boy who lived, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. He is in fact the seventh Horcrux. If you've not read the seventh. Unintentionally. Book, you're in for, for, for a surprise. Yeah, it's a really great plot um, twist. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So yeah, I got them all. I got them all. I was a little yeah, nervous. Yeah, I was yeah. the No, snake, of course you did. No, of course you it. got it all. There was, I was reading it and it, so te- there's a technicality. Obviously, one of them is in Voldemort itself. Sure. And then there's another technicality that Quirrell is considered a temporary horcrux. Oh, interesting. Because he's right. like his temporary house or whatever right yeah exactly so thank you so much to everyone who participated but a special shout out to Catherine, jamie and jordan it was a joint effort between the three of them to find the all of the horcruxes correctly so good job you guys thank you so much i would also like to take a moment to have a moment of silence for helen mccrory who passed away this week So if you have a wand, feel free to hold it up as we have a moment of silence for our beloved Narcissa Malfoy. Thank you. I will be separating this episode into two parts as well, so I hope you enjoy part one. The seventh and final installment of the series starts with Lord Voldemort being in power. The Wizarding World is split between two different sides, the side against Voldemort and the side that is just succumbing to his power. Harry ultimately knows that he needs to go and continue to find these horcruxes to destroy him. Ron and Hermione take steps and appropriate measures to be able to join him. They attend Bill and Fleur's wedding, but unfortunately, it's infiltrated by Death Eaters. So Ron, Harry, and Hermione have to start their run a lot faster than they expect. They end up housing at Grimold Place, and they discover some things about Harry's past, as well as Creature's past. They are able to make amends with him and move forward. They discover that the real Horcrux locket is under Dolores Umbridge's protection. So they find a way to infiltrate the ministry as ministry officials to go and get it. 
they ultimately get it and must run out of the ministry and must go back into hiding. There's a lot of camping that happens, a lot of tension builds up between Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and ultimately Ron finds himself very jealous and huffs off and leaves. In that time, Hermione and Harry decide to visit Godric's Hollow to see Harry's childhood home. While they're there, they find Bathilda Bagshot. Bathilda Bagshot is actually Nagini in disguise, and he tries to get Harry, but ultimately does not succeed. When Hermione tries to save Harry, she ultimately breaks his wand. Ron returns, just in time to find the sword of Godric Gryffindor, which Harry was trying to retrieve. Unfortunately, the horcrux around his neck had tried to strangle him. So Ron saves him, and he defeats the horcrux with the sword of Godric Gryffindor. After Ron joins them again, they decide to go visit Xenophilius Lovegood, Luna's dad. He explains the Deathly Hallows to them. They are three items, the Elder Wand, the Resurrection Stone, and the Cloak of Invisibility. And if one person has all three, they are the master of death. Ultimately, they get captured because Luna has been taken by Death Eaters and Xenophilius Lovegood turns them in. At Malfoy Manor, they are imprisoned with Wandmaker Ollivander and Griphook. Dobby the House Elf manages to help them escape to Bill and Fleur's cottage home, but is ultimately killed in the process. With Griphook's help, the trio is able to break into Gringotts to break into Bellatrix's vault, where one of the Horcruxes is, the cup of Helga Hufflepuff. They are discovered, but ultimately are able to escape via dragon. In a vision, Harry does see there is a Horcrux at Hogwarts, the diadem of Rowena Ravenclaw. With Aberforth Dumbledore's help, the trio is able to sneak back into the school and reunite with Dumbledore's army. Ron and Hermione venture into the Chamber of Secrets to destroy Hufflepuff's cup with basilisk fangs, and Harry searches for Ravenclaw's diadem. The trio ends up finding the diadem in the Room of Requirement, but are cornered ultimately by Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle. Crab tries to kill them with fiend fire, but ends up destroying the Horcrux and himself in the blaze that goes out of control. Voldemort announces over Hogwarts that he is ready to put everything at bay if Harry will present himself. The students promise to protect Harry for as long as he can to find the Horcruxes and what he needs to defeat Voldemort. Voldemort believes that Snape is the master of the Elder Wand and ultimately kills the professor in the Shrieking Shack. In Snape's last moments, he gives Harry a memory which Harry takes to the pensive and headmaster's office. The memory reveals that Snape was always in love with Lily Potter and had been secretly protecting Harry ever since Lily's death. In that moment, Harry also discovers that he himself became a horcrux of Voldemort's when the Dark Lord tried to kill him as a baby and that he must sacrifice himself to ultimately kill Voldemort. As Harry walks into the Forbidden Forest to find Voldemort, he is prepared to die and he finds the Resurrection Stone. In doing so, he's able to see his mother and father, the Marauders, Lupin, and Sirius, and he is able to make peace with his death. Voldemort casts the killing curse and Harry ends up at King's Cross Station. Albus Dumbledore is there and explains that Harry isn't entirely dead because he is linked to the living Voldemort through his blood. Instead, he tells Harry that he has a choice to come back. Harry ultimately chooses to return and pretends to be dead. Voldemort brings his body back to Hogwarts to announce his victory. Since Neville refuses to accept Voldemort's triumph, he kills Nagini, the last remaining Horcrux with the sword of Godric Gryffindor. 
Harry springs from the ground and explains to Voldemort that he is the master of the Elder Wand because he disarmed Draco, who had previously disarmed Dumbledore with Expelliarmus right before Snape killed him. Voldemort casts the killing curse as Harry disarms him. Since Harry is the true master of the wand, the killing curse backfires, leaving Voldemort dead once and for all. Years later, Harry and Ginny return with their children to King's Cross Station with Ron and Hermione and their children. The epilogue closes with Harry saying, all is well. Hello everyone and welcome to Buddies, Books, and Blockbusters. My name is Jessica and this week we have a very special buddy on with us today. She is probably, definitely the buddy I've known the longest and probably one of my closest friends, Nicole! What's up? It's me, Nicole, your girl, the anxious shopper. Woo! That's me. Hi, my name's Nicole. Um... I have known Jessica since early in high school. Um, we, how did we meet? Like through drama? I think we met in drama. I remember the, like the first time we hung out, we went to like Gloria Jean's coffee and we were talking about yes. boys. As we did. Yeah, as, oh, you know, still, you're about to get That's married. Strange. So exciting. We were talking about boys. You went on like a date with a guy and like you guys went to see a movie or something. There's like contenders and who that could be, but I won't name names. <laughs> right, exactly. And you know, me pining over all these people that I'm like, why? Why did? I and we ever... had nicknames for them. Oh my we god! With nicknames. Oh my god! Or chapstick. There was chapstick. Oh, <gasps> how could I forget? And penguin. Penguin. Oh, penguin. A penguin knows he his name is penguin. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna listen to this. I know, and it sucks because that's my favorite animal now, and I'm like, well, I doubt he listens. If he does, shout out to penguin. <laughs> hey, penguin. <laughs> what up? I had a big crush on you in high school. As if you didn't already know. <laughs> awesome. Uh, oh, good times. Yeah. So, uh, the first part of the podcast is we're getting to know the buddy. So, Nicole, we start out with the most important uh, question. What? I actually don't even know this. What is your Hogwarts house? Okay, so I, I think of this question in two ways. There's what's my favorite house, and obviously it's Gryffindor. But when I took a test a while ago, it was like... It's changed every time I take it because I think my personality has changed over time. So I took it literally this morning and I am 50.5% Ravenclaw and 45.9% Hufflepuff, 3.6% Gryffindor and 0 Slytherin. <laughs> That's perfect. Zero. And you took this on Pottermore and everything? Um, I actually took it on time.com. Oh, it's like, it was actually a very in-depth quiz and I, cause I've taken the Pottermore one and I was always like, meh, I don't, I don't agree. Okay. I love that. Yeah. I think it's like, I listened to the pod, a podcast called Thoughts from Pool Therapy. Shout out to Thoughts from Pool Therapy. You guys rock. Not sponsored, but like you guys rock. And basically she says like when they're talking about horoscopes and everything that it's not necessarily what you if you don't identify with your zodiac sign, that's okay. It's just like the vibe or the energy. And I kind of feel it's the same way with your house. I feel the same way when I was in high school. I was a Hufflepuff, but I was like, I don't, I don't feel like I am a Hufflepuff. So that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I definitely 
would consider myself now like a raven puff but (laughs) yeah and I also think it's like how you project yourself versus how you want to be seen and how you actually are and it's a whole psychosis thing (laughs) so okay so your favorite is Gryffindor I'd have to say my favorite house is also Gryffindor I feel like we're kind of forced into it in this series. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, okay, cool. Awesome. And we've got a Ravenclaw and then it's Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, Slytherin. Basically. Yeah. Zero Slytherin. Cool. Zero Slytherin. Yeah. No Slytherins no Slytherin. here. Actually, I feel kind of bad. I don't think I inter- – like I technically Andrew was a Slytherin, but now that I think about it, I don't think any of my buddies were Slytherins. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't like anything against y'all Slytherins. It just – I – looked at my most bookish friends and we all happen to be Ravenclaws. So. Oops. Oopsie daisies. <laughs> did I do that? Mm-hmm. All right. Anywho, how did you get into Harry Potter? So it's kind of a funny story. So my mom started off reading them to me as many people our age did because we were too young to actually read them to ourselves, but they were. I love your mom hot and happening um Mm -hmm. and we got to maybe like the second or third book and my friend spoiled the endings for me (gasps) so I being the stubborn child that I was saying fine I won't read them we cannot bond over this now to my friend and (laughs) so okay that's a shitty friend I did not finish reading them I did not finish reading them till college like I had watched all the movies so like the last three or four movies I watched completely blind like not knowing what happens really like I knew the major plot points and what's funny about that is when Dumbledore died I did not know until the next morning because I had been so sleep deprived and I saw the the movie at a midnight premiere that I fell asleep I remember this I remember yes, this because I had been at like a sleepaway camp and on the drive back I took too much Dramamine and I slept for like four hours and then I fell asleep during the midnight premiere of the movie and the next day I was like reading about it and talking to someone and they're like yeah when Dumbledore dies and I'm like what hold up hold up <laughs> oh no part of the movie and it's like it's really embarrassing to say that but yeah so then Years later, I was like, you know, I should probably read all the books. So I read, read them in order. And I'm, I wish my friend hadn't spoiled it for me. Yeah, that's so rude. Way part of my childhood. I know. How dare they? That friend, if you're listening. They're not. Avatica, <laughs> <laughs> you. That's so rude. Oh, my gosh. That makes me so angry for you. But don't worry. There is no judgment here. We are a judgment-free zone. One of my buddies actually had never read the books before until he came on for the podcast so so you know what no judgment here everyone here is on different levels of potter fandom and he's like the biggest harry potter fan i've ever met too so like we're all on different levels but we all love potter and it means something to us so i love that cool so which character if any do you identify with i mean the like perfectionist side of me is definitely hermione and then I think there's also, like, the fun-loving, goofy, food-loving Ron side of me. So I'm, like, I'm a good mix between Ron and Hermione. Like, I would be their child. You would be Rose. Like children. Yeah, I'm Rose. Okay, there we go. That's my <laughs> character. <laughs> I mean, we know that I definitely have a lot of Hermione in me. Oh, yeah. You, we even joked about how 
I made copies of your notes so that I could be the most prepared. Yeah, you guys, I'm like, (laughs) I'm like flabbergasted. Like every, all my buddies that have been on, you guys have been so wonderful. You guys were prepared. I really appreciate everything I made you do for this. I made them read and watch the movies. Like (laughs) I'm kind of a terrible person, but I appreciate all of you for doing that. But Nicole was just like, I'm taking notes. I have, like, she's been commenting on the little Google doc that I've been doing, like writing in her little stuff. And I'm just like, oh my God, I love you. (laughs) Because it's the way I think too. So I I appreciate it. It's awesome. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, perfect. So this question I thought was a fun one. What's your favorite obscure fan theory about the series? If you have one. So I did have to do some Googling on this. And uh, I found one that I found kind of funny was that Dumbledore hired Lockhart for just like the shits and giggles. Like he he knew he was gonna a fake and he wanted to expose him, but also like just that he would find it funny. It was for purely his own entertainment that this like dumb guy is teaching and he's just like sitting in his office giggling about hearing the dumb stuff he's doing. And like I just find that hilarious. That is a Dumbledore thing to do. Like, oh, this guy's super famous and everyone loves him. Let me show everyone he's a fraud. I love that. That's that's great. So pod fan question from Chris. So Chris was actually our second buddy, so it was kind of exciting that he asked this question. If you could choose a Horcrux to put part of your soul in, which would it be and why? A little dark, a little... Thought-provoking thought-provoking. I love that word. And I think he specifically means of the horcruxes Voldemort placed. But if you all, uh, you would never make a horcrux, so never mind. (laughs) That would be insinuating that you were a murderer. I'm 0% Slytherin. I would not make a horcrux. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. No no serial killing here. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. You're a Taurus. You wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. Okay. Um probably the diadem because it's shiny and sparkly and it was lost yeah it's just like a it's just some pretty jewelry like that's already part of my soul right exactly (laughs) jewelry already has a part of my soul in it it does nicole is very stylish you guys I'll have to, we'll have to like, I'll show like the pictures that you have and then a picture of you just covered in jewelry. I love it. (laughs) Moving on to the fun facts. So we're going to start with fun facts about the book. So the book was actually released on July 21st of 2007 and J.K. Rowling actually abandoned another book series that she was writing in order to start working on the Harry Potter series. So she kind of was just like, oh, this isn't going to work out anymore. So Harry's Harry's shown me the way. <laughs> the series actually also wouldn't exist without Alice Newton, who was an eight-year-old daughter of a child of the Bloomsbury Publishing Company, who ended up publishing Harry Potter. And she read the first book before it was picked up by publishing and called it so much better than anything else, which I think all of us at eight years old felt the exact same way. <laughs> According to Rowling, in the Potterverse, there are about 3,000 wizards living in Britain. So I guess that would make for about like 10,000 wizards living in the U.S. So she has since said that her favorite chapter in the entire series is The Forest Again from The Deathly Hallows. And both this chapter and the chapter about the Mirror of Erised involve Harry 
interacting with the memory of his parents. I, I forgot. Like, I'm rereading all of this stuff, and I just, I, like, sobbed. So I, like, never knew this, so I'm really excited about this. In the Harry Potter universe, a gold galleon is worth around 4.93 pounds. I don't, I don't know how they say it. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, British people. Which is about the equivalent of $7.35 US dollars. A silver sickle is worth around 29 pence, which is 46 cents. And a bronze canut, they don't pronounce it nut, it's canut, fun fact, <laughs> is worth about one pence, which is two cents. That means that in the first book, Harry paid 34.51 pounds or 51.45 US dollars for his wand at Ollivander's. So it's like a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> In the French edition, Voldemort's middle name is Elvis. This change... <laughs> you guys can't see it, but uh, Nicole is cackling. Trying hard not to laugh. <laughs> it's okay, you can laugh. Um, yeah, his middle name is Elvis, so that it could be Tom Elvis uh, Jus d'Azur, which would become the anagram for Je suis Voldemort. <laughs> you can laugh, Nicole. <laughs> Try not to interrupt you. <laughs> you are perfect. J.K. Rowling has said that Voldemort's boggart would take the form of his own corpse because he thinks that death is a shameful human weakness. And we see that a bit in the sixth book when he thinks that his mom isn't the witch because she died. J.K. Rowling has also said that it amuses her to allude to historical events within the Harry Potter series and that it's no coincidence that Grindelwald was defeated in 1945, which was also the end of the Second World War. Similar story plot lines here. J.K. Rowling actually wrote the epilogue to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows in about 1990, which is, I want to say... Is that 17 years before she actually wrote Deathly Hallows? So, yeah. So she had that all planned out. According to Rowling, the death of Hedwig in the final book, the first movie, symbolizes the loss of Harry's innocence. She also seriously considered killing off Ron out of sheer spite about halfway through the series, but ultimately decided that she couldn't do it without this character. No! Duh! Okay, but, like, if her plan was to have... Hermione marry Ron. So what I heard the original plan was for Hermione and Harry to end up together because if you see how they interact, especially, I mean, we'll talk about it later as well, but if you see them interacting yeah. during the camping scenes, they it makes oh, yeah. sense. Yeah. When writing the epilogue to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Rowling considered having Dudley Dursley show up on platform nine and three quarters with a magical child but decided that any latent wizarding genes would never survive contact with Uncle Vernon's DNA. I just feel like that would have been so perfect because at the end, like at the beginning of this book, basically the last scene that we see with the Dursleys, Dudley kind of looks back at Harry and is like, are you coming with us? If not, please be careful. It's it's such a cool just yeah, juxtaposition. Yeah, and like Petunia's whole arc as a child of like being jealous yeah. That would be like a fun full circle. Right. Oh, it was, yeah. So it was kind of like. Major bummer. Right? Missed opportunity. I would have really loved to see that. The famous ending of the series, All Was Well, was ultimately entirely different. J.K. Rowling said both in 1999 and 2005 that she wanted the last word to be Scar. Hmm. So, like, 
it didn't hurt anymore, his scar or something like that. All right, so now we move on to the fun facts from the films. So there were two of them. They released the first part on November 19th of 2010, with part two coming out on November 11th, almost a year later, 2011. And um, a little fun fact about that is that the final part came out almost exactly 10 years after the first part came out. So it's kind of a cute little, it was a whole decade. The hardest scene to capture was the seven potters. So all of the people turning into Harry. It's my favorite scene though. <laughs> right? No, it is. And I, I commend Radcliffe. Wait, <laughs> Don't look at me. I'm hideous. I'm hideous. <laughs> but like, I just, yeah, it's so entertaining. Harry does so well with the female characters. Like, Hermione's like, oh, wow, you're really, you really are blind. Yeah, it captures them perfectly. Yes, absolutely. This was something I noticed while watching. Neville and Harry wear similar outfits to what their dads wore in that Order of the Phoenix picture that's shown to him in the fifth book. Yeah, Neville's dad is kind of wearing a little sweater knit thing and Harry's dad is, like, wearing a jacket over all his stuff. And during the final Battle of Hogwarts, they're both wearing what their dads would have worn. It's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Kind of the Neville and Harry connection a little further. Even though Deathly Hallows Part 1 and Part 2 are different movies, they were actually filmed as one giant movie. So they'd film a scene from Part 1 one day, and the next day they'd see film a scene from part two so it would confuse the heck out of the actors because they'd be like oh am i dead yet what is going on (laughs) but that organization and storyboarding helena bonham carter was one of those actors that felt confused and she definitely remembers the torture scene at malfoy manor and apparently she was so concerned that she kept going over to emma watson and saying hey are you okay because she was just going over the top she ended up Right? She ended up actually hugging Emma Watson at the end of that scene. So this was something a lot of people noticed and they were like, why is Crab black? Well, to explain that, Crab actually isn't in the film at all in the last film. Completely different person. It's a completely different person. If you guys remember Zabini from the sixth book, he makes another appearance in the seventh book, part two. And it is because the actor who played crab was arrested his name was jamie waylett and he was arrested and charged in 2011 for violent participation in the london riots yeah he also was charged with possession and growth of cannabis in his house well you know it wasn't legal it's still not legal in florida but it is in california yeah big yike it's legal in california come over here jamie or well over to nicole not me So actually, J.K. Rowling had to fight to keep one of the most iconic, I think, iconic scenes in the movie, Minerva McGonagall's duel with Severus Snape. Now, it does take place in a different location. However, they almost took it out. And I'm sorry, you can't not have Minerva McGonagall be a total badass and defend all the kids of Hogwarts. You you just had The best part is when she's like i've always wanted to do that yeah when she yeah it was literally we're the same brain because i was just thinking about that do your duty i always wanted to use that spell (laughs) meanwhile molly just like looks at her and she's like my kids are fighting in all of this what are you doing (laughs) yeah 
uh, we'll talk about this later too, but that uh, Voldemort yeah. and Draco hug was improvised. I'm not surprised, honestly. Yeah. yeah so there's that. And Tom. It's so awkward. It's just so awkward. Tom yeah. Felton's then girlfriend actually played his wife Astoria in the epilogue. So he actually convinced the directors and filmmakers like, hey, this is my girlfriend. Can she be my wife? And they were like, okay, weird, weird way to propose, but okay. But they ended up breaking up and Astoria actually ends up dying out um, of a blood-related illness in the rest of Harry Potter lore. Fun fact. Yeah. John Hurt, who played Ollivander, made an appearance in the last movies after nine years away from the set, longer than any other returning actor. And unfortunately, he passed away soon after his role, or his, um, soon after appearing. Yeah. Part two, I don't think anyone really realizes this, and I didn't realize it until I read it, but part two takes place in a span of 24 hours. Which makes sense, but, like, whoa. <laughs> and then part one is months. Right. It's, I'd say, yeah, actually, it totally is because it takes place from the end of Voldemort's death, basically Voldemort's funeral, all the way, like, July-ish, all the way to May, and May 2nd is the Battle of Hogwarts. So. Yeah. Dang. Um, the second film actually lost the streak that all the films had had of being the best in the box office to another fandom that I'm a part of and a huge fan of, The Avengers. The Avengers happened to come out that same year, so. And I love this because I just love Rupert Grant. He's just such a random guy. On the very last day of filming, Rupert Grant decided to give his co-stars Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson not an ice cream truck, not you know, like a special wand or momentum or anything, a trumpet. He just gave both of them a trumpet. And they were like, oh, and everyone was like, oh, it's some fun inside joke. And he was like, no, I'm just random. (laughs) I present to you a trumpet. I love it. I love it. So, favorite casting. So, this is the part of the podcast, if you guys are listening for the first time, where we talk about our favorite characters, who plays them, and some fun facts about that. So, Fred and George were probably some of my favorite characters in the series, but also in this book, and obviously in the movies. They're played by Oliver and James Phelps, who are incredible, real-life twins. So funny. They're both big Potter fans, too. They come to Universal, like Tom Felton does, to celebrate all the big milestones. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. But yeah, I thought they were both incredible. I thought that they capture the twins really well. And obviously everyone's like, oh, Fred and George are like basically the same character over. But it's just so interesting how if you're really paying attention, you can see little intricacies in each actor's differences with their character. So it's kind of fun. Bill. I really like Bill. I forget what his name is. I'll look it up. Domhnall Gleeson plays Bill Weasley, and so we finally meet Bill in this movie. I don't think we've met him in any of the previous movies, or if we have, it was like for a second or two. They finally show the romance between him and Fleur, because they're about to get married, all that stuff. And of course, he has the 
remnants of his attack by Fenrir Greyback in the sixth book. The actors who played Mafelda Hopkirk, Albert Runcorn, and Reginald Cattermall were perfect. I feel like they all took on Harry, Hermione, and Ron's fun little quirks and whatnot yeah Yeah, their personas really well i was super impressed i remember watching it and i was just like oh my god how is this not actually them like it looks like they're wearing just like a costume or something even their facial expressions yeah it was i don't know it was just super incredible really cool to be a part of or kind of seen oh my god on that note helena bonham carter oh the best just a queen she's already the best in anything she does absolutely and yeah on the same note of how she portrays Hermione is so good like body language facial expressions yeah it's just incredible like in Gringotts she's just like I it's it I helps a lot that in the movies they use the actors actual voices instead of like in the books you know it would be assumed that does help a lot but it also was just so funny because I was just like this is Emma Watson, but no, it's Helena Bonham Carter playing Bellatrix Lestrange, but she's playing Hermione, who's trying to be Bellatrix. Like, it's just mind-blowing. So many layers. So many layers, so many just, like, little intricate things. Like, God, this woman is incredible. And last but not least, Ralph Fiennes plays Voldemort, and he has since the fourth, since Goblet of Fire incredible honestly i think that he has portrayed the villain of this explosive and incredibly prolific series so incredibly well yeah he's terrifying he's almost relatable when you go back to like the sixth books and you kind of like see his storyline and you're like oh okay like i understand okay not relatable at all unless you're a serial killer just but, oh, but like it, you you see the human side of him. Yeah, and it's just it's just crazy. Like there's almost no good parts about him because he just had a crappy upbringing, and juxtaposing that with Harry's upbringing, which is very similar. They both were orphaned and everything, and it's just incredibly fascinating. I think Ralph Fiennes is incredible. He actually improvised that whole end monologue in the second movie, the second part and he like had he had different takes where he addressed different people where he addressed like neville he addressed harry he addressed uh dead harry uh ron hermione hagrid just incredible i would love to see all that footage because people like the people on set were saying he was absolutely terrifying cool all right so moving on to what I like to call the meat of the podcast. Basically, we're going to discuss the differences of everything. We're going to discuss everything little, uh, big and small. We're going to be discussing some of our favorite parts, some things that the movies may have incorporated and whatnot. So take a gander. Uh, I have a lot to say about this. (laughs) I'm excited. I'm ready. I want to hear your thoughts. I'm here for it. So just to catch everyone up, I know you heard the lovely recap earlier starting to whatever i have placed at the beginning of this episode we have we are two horcruxes down at this point in the series and we're gonna beep voldemort ups so in the first movie um so there are some easter eggs throughout these last two movies that kind of like call back to the first few movies in the series and whatnot 
And I think the little one that I noticed right before everyone comes to kind of take Harry to a new location, we see Harry playing with the little figures that he was playing with at the beginning of the first ever movie. And we see him playing with his little soldiers. It's it's just really sweet. He's under the cu- cupboard again, and it's his way of saying goodbye. So I liked I liked the movie's take on that. In the second movie, there's an Equus poster in the cafe that they land in after Fl- Bill and Fleur's wedding. They're just there's just lots of Daniel Radcliffe on display. So, <laughs> good times. So, uh, back to the seven potters. So, as mentioned before, it was the most difficult scene to edit in. And Hermione says, so, Nicole, I should, I should warn you. So, in the previous few books, I've noticed that J.K. Rowling takes some liberties with the words that she uses. And they're very uh, sexual in nature. On that note, in the fifth book, we talk about how occlumency is external penetration. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> and then in the sixth book, this is my favorite, and I'm so mad I didn't mention it when we recorded the sixth episode, when the Order of Phoenix finds out that Snape has killed Dumbledore, Lupin is very upset about this, and he... The line literally reads, Lupin ejaculated, Snape? So, <laughs> yeah, these these liberties are just very interesting to me because I'm a dirty-minded individual, but I just felt the need to share just, them. like, pull out a thesaurus and, like, she was trying to expand right. her vocabulary. <laughs> right, right. There are teenagers reading these books. What do you expect? <laughs> nine-year-olds reading these books. (laughs) Mommy, what does ejaculate mean? Uh. (laughs) It's a great sound bit. (laughs) Gosh, me with my future children. Oh my goodness. So Hermione actually says that Harry looks tastier than Goyle. Kind of on that note. So at least she's like, she's calming it down a bit. Her publishers were probably like, we need to, we need to go back on this. Dial it back. (laughs) Exactly. Because... This is a callback, of course, to Chamber of Secrets when they drank Polyjuice Potion. And, of course, the Polyjuice Potion is different based on whose hair is in it. Stan Shunpike actually, so during the flight of the Seven Potters, when they're all trying to get him to the location, obviously a bunch of Death Eaters come out of nowhere. They were obviously told ahead of time. And the way the movie and books frame it, it looks like Snape has revealed this information. So in the book, Stan Shumpike sees Harry use Expelliarmus instead of a killing curse. And that's how the Death Eaters figure out that Harry is the real Harry and not the other six Harrys. So it was really crazy. It was a cool unfolding in the book because the way it's written, it's like, how do they figure out that he's the real Harry? They all look identical to him. And then at the very end... When they're all talking about it, Lupin's like, you are too nice. You are too good of a person. And he's like, well, I don't think I could should have killed Stan Shunpike, even if he's like under the Imperius curse. And Lupin's like, no, at this point, everyone's trying to kill you and your friends. Don't be nice and use Expelliarmus. It's becoming your signature move. So, and then in the movie, they do explain it as Hedwig because she's kind of going around him. I think, in a way, that kind of takes away from Harry's kindness that, oh, it's because Hedwig was trying to protect him. And, of course, she ultimately, spoiler alert, dies. 
Yeah, I feel like Hedwig got the short straw, though, and in the movie, their bond is so important, and I really enjoyed that aspect of, like... Oh, I see that. Her giving it away and being, like, protective. Yeah. Versus, like, in the book, Hedwig is just, like, sitting there and then just goes, bloop. Yeah, she's in her cage. Oh, it's so sad. I can't, I could never imagine that. So in the book, Harry's wand actually does a weird thing on its own. So Voldemort flies next to him, and that's like a big thing in the book as well, that Voldemort can fly, and without any assistance from anything. So everyone's like flying on brooms or thestrals, and Voldemort is just like, nah, I'm flying, bitches. And his wand does this weird thing where when Voldemort goes to kill him, his wand kind of turns around as a compass would and sets out these gold sparks that kind of protect Harry and ultimately Hagrid who is currently falling. So it was just a really interesting, really interesting thing to see because this book has a theme of wands and wand usage. Obviously Ollivander comes back, Grigorovich comes in, the Elder Wand is one of the Deathly Hallows. So it's definitely one of those things that I think was such a cool thing that was left out of the movies, and I understand why, but I just really liked that. They actually, in the books as well, the Order has separate houses for them to stop at. So Harry and Hagrid stop at the Tonks family and meet Ted Tonks and Andromeda. They are Nymphadora Tonks' parents. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is that Andromeda looks exactly like Bellatrix, so it totally throws Harry off and he gets really freaked out. Ted Tonks is obviously a character in the book and not in the movie. Yeah, he's not super important. He's only really important for the Lupin Tonks storyline, just because that's what they end up naming their, spoiler alert, child after. But But they um, take most of that out. They do, yeah. I don't think, they're not even in it at all. Yeah, she. you see Tonks go to say, we've got some great news, and then someone overshadows her. Yeah, so just so y'all know, Tonks did have a baby. Named Ted. Teddy. Pretty much, eh, okay, not the rest of the scene, but most of the scene is word for word from the book, which I I appreciate. I really like it when they kind of take from the book completely. I do understand creative liberties, especially since film is a different medium, but I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, there was also the part where Hagrid tries to like cast a spell to save them and he like breaks the sidecar off in the book. (laughs) <laughs> and in the movie, they just, like, completely skip over that. And Hagrid's just, his job is to fly his motorcycle. And, like, that's it. Yeah, you're right. I forgot and, like, about he, that. They, Hagrid goes, like, falling to his death. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And Harry, like, the way Harry is able to save them, he even says, I don't, it wasn't me. It was my wand. Just, yeah. I don't know, kind of give, I kind of taking the power away from the actual characters and putting it into the wand, which I understand in a movie is kind of boring. So Yeah, you want the actors to be acting. Right. But it was kind of cool that, I mean, I I really do wish, you're right, Hagrid would have had his little shining moment with his umbrella. Also, this is kind of a weird question. I had kind of this question when I was reading through. So Bill and Fleur actually witness the death of Mad-Eye Moody. They witness the killing curse hit him square in the chest and they were flying on a Thestral. Now, I don't think, from what I understand, I don't think Fleur has ever seen anyone die. Possibly Bill has, just because he works for the Ministry. 
But I wonder if they couldn't see the Thestral before, and I wonder how this kind of magic works. If they couldn't see the Thestral before, but then they witness Moody die, does it suddenly appear under them? Like, I'm just just curious. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? I had a dirty thought, but... Uh... Oh, let's hear it! <laughs> oh, I was just thinking, uh, you, you look down and suddenly there's something between your legs. <laughs> something but thick and scaly. You... Ew. Oh, okay. <laughs> maybe not the scaly part. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe edit that out. Uh, let's see. Anywho, I thought I don't know what I thought. Um, yeah, I just it's thought provoking. No, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't, hadn't, hadn't occurred to me. But I think that is what would have happened. That they would have been like, that Flora would have just been trusting that she was holding on to something. Yeah. Um. And I think maybe if, like, one of them was able to see it, then it made it easier for them to ride. Right. It's not like they were both just like, wee! Wee! <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, so and if any listeners out there have any thoughts on that, I would love to hear what you have to say about it. I think it's super fascinating. So, yeah, just uh, send me a DM. In the movie, we mentioned this earlier, I think Dan is so good at acting like the others. Also, Bill Domel Gleason his real life dad Brendan Gleason played Moody so I think it was really interesting that Bill witnesses Moody's death and that I wonder how the the son and father relationship of that would maybe made it more difficult or made it maybe even easier I don't know and Tonks is just so thrilled to tell them the good news but she never actually gets to I know so we're going to skip ahead a little bit to Harry's birthday and Fleur's wedding. So we actually don't witness Harry's birthday in the movies. And it's actually kind of like a throwaway line that Hermione says. She's like, oh my god, we didn't celebrate your birthday. And they're like walking. And made you a cake, yeah. Yeah, we made, like Ginny and I made over. you a cake. Yeah. Right, and Harry's like, we're about to be killed. Like, we were just found out by Death Eaters and you're worried about my birthday. Which... Very typical. I feel like Hermione. I've. That's another thing I love the way that they're written because I just like. <laughs> oh yeah, she goes right perspective. Exactly. <laughs> Incredible. Um, but in the book, the Order of the Phoenix does come to celebrate Harry's birthday with a snitch cake that Molly made. He receives a watch from the Weasleys, which is actually called back to during the epilogue. And um, Harry, like, looks down at the watch that was given to him by the Weasley parents. Ron gives him a book about wooing witches, which I think is such a fun... Like, we never see... I don't think we ever really see, like, the boys talking about girls or whatever. And especially, like, talking about how Ron has a huge thing for Hermione. I've obviously, taking away from the plot, it's not necessary. But I, I just always love that extra, like plot fluffiner story uh second secondary storylines yeah and ron's like oh yeah i've taken a page out of it and he like keeps comforting hermione like when mad eye moody dies and it's just it's just really really sweet so uh any men out there trying to woo me do that (laughs) (laughs) nicole's taken i mean my fiance can still try to woo me exactly sam you need to get this book sam you need to woo me. <laughs> Keep wooing her. You better be wooing her. She needs wooing and woo-hooing. Okay. Wooing is sounding weird 
well. Hermione ends up giving him a sneak scope for their travels, which is such a rational Hermione gift. And Hagrid, which I really liked, Hagrid gives him a pouch that hides things and he's the only one that can retrieve them. So I think that that, honestly, I think that's super cool. He ends up putting the Marauder's map in there and the glass, the kind of glass shard that Sirius gave him that is never actually mentioned in the movie how he got it. It's kind of a throwaway line in the second movie when Aberforth is just like, oh yeah, I got this mirror off of Mundungus who stole it from the black man, from Grimold Place. So it is kind of explained, but he uses it in the fifth book to communicate with Sirius. Victor Crumb is actually at um, Fleur and Belle's wedding, which I understand why they cut it out. I mean... It's, it's not really necessary, but it does show Ron really is into Hermione and he has like this little jealous spurt and he sees, I think it's really important too, that he sees Xenophilius Lovegood, Luna Lovegood's dad, wearing the Deathly Hallows symbol and how he wants to fight him because it's the sign of Grindelwald and Grindelwald, yeah, yeah obviously uh, we're going to talk about Grindelwald a little bit more, but the fact that this small little symbol in like kind of brings up all of this hate within Victor Crumb, I think is just super fascinating. They disguise Harry at the wedding as Barnaby Weasley just to be super safe. And I think, I understand why they didn't do a lot of these things like disguising Harry or putting the invisibility cloak on because again, movie is a, or film is just a different media and it would be so difficult to spend most of the movie, I mean if it followed suit with the books, most of the movies would have them under an invisibility cloak or disguised as other actors, so. Yeah, for like most of 7.1. Exactly, yeah. Elpheus Dodge is also there, and he's also there in the movie, but he doesn't go into an extreme conversation about Dumbledore. You kind of see, um, in the book, you kind of see more about Dumbledore, um, you see his not so great past and we'll discuss that a little bit later, but it's really interesting because Elpheus Dodge is like, you don't understand, like he's this great wizard and Aunt Muriel, who's kind of that awful relative that you have to invite to everything. <laughs> um, she, she's just like, ah, no, he sucks, you know? So yeah. There's also a scene in the book that I just like wish they included in the movie from in the wedding when, uh. Hagrid is like helping set up and he goes to sit in like the they described as like these elegant gold thin chairs and he sits on like four at once and breaks them all and it's like fumbling around trying to help and like apologizing and like I love any time that Hagrid is just like a bumbling goof I love that and I was really sad <laughs> that they didn't show that because I was dying of laughter in that scene that's true yeah because i mean jk rowling has stated that hagrid is based off of a hell's angel that she once met who was like this big tough looking guy but he started talking about his like little herb garden with her and she was just like oh my god you're so tough but like so sweet on the inside that would have been really cool to see i love that thank you thanks for adding that in in the movie, they're just, of course, shoving Harry and Ginny together. Now, I'm actually curious on your thoughts on Ginny. I personally love Ginny in the book. Yeah. In the movie, and no shade, no tea at Bonnie Wright. No, 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 no. Their chemistry between Daniel and Bonnie Wright is just so off that that 
that dress moment and then their kiss and George is in the background. Gag me. No, thank you. I mean, I find it funny. Oh, absolutely. But it's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be steamy. It's supposed to be romantic. And I'm just like, this is comedy, right? <laughs> it's comedic <laughs> that they end up together, right? Yeah. Oy. You to make this funny, right? Right, exactly. So in the in the books, the three, the golden trio, Ron and her of the golden trio, Ron and Hermione go to great lengths to protect their families, which yeah. ultimately is actually the reason Harry lets them come along with him. Because at first he's just like, you guys shouldn't come. Like, this is my job, whatever. And ultimately when he realizes how much they've done for the – in preparation, he's just flabbergasted. And so – in the book, Hermione actually enchanted her parents to change their names completely, forget that they have a daughter, and they have this like super strong urge to move to Australia. And so they move to Australia before she even goes to the Weasleys, which to an extent, I think the movie covered in the best way that they possibly could. In the movie, Hermione obliviates her parents, which means she completely erases their memories of her existence. Super complicated magic. And I don't know, I think that's almost more upsetting because, like, she talks about how, okay, if I do survive this, I can go to Australia and find my parents and explain to them and just, you know, undo the magic. But with this, memory charms are just so complicated. I feel like this is, like, a done deal. And she doesn't tell the guys. The guys don't know it until she kind of mentions it to Harry when they're, it's just the two of them. And he just kind of lets it go. <laughs> she's yeah. just like, she's just like, yeah, I, like, I made my parents forget about me and he's like, okay, but more about me and Horcruxes, <laughs> which not the intention, I know. I think Harry, I think Daniel Radcliffe does a great job with Harry, but I think Harry can be written, is written a bit more of the hero and not really like the sensitive, nice guy that he is in the books. But I know you had something to say about that. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's much sadder in the movie because it just seems so permanent. But in the books, she really explains it as like, I have plans to get them back, hopefully. Like, that's kind of part of her motivation in the beginning. And so we don't see that character motivation from her in the movie. And we just assume she's just, like, has to give up her parents. Right. And I mean, like, she has to give up her mom, Catelyn Stark. Like, what? Like, And also I have issues with how they removed just the pictures of Hermione. And yeah. I'm like, aren't these parents going to be confused why they have empty pictures on their their mantle okay but to be like, completely fair i also have empty picture frames all over my room <laughs> wait i have one on my fireplace mantle <laughs> i guess it's not that weird <laughs> okay fine it's not that weird they'll just think they forgot to fill it because i i just have been lazy about filling it me too i keep telling myself i'm gonna like draw something that'll be cool and i don't Likewise, Ron also, and his family actually helps. So Molly is pretty set on them not leaving. Molly is very much like, it's not happening. You guys aren't doing this. I don't she know what you so think. so much time trying to stop it. Yeah, she keeps them apart, like, the whole entire time that they're planning the like, wedding and everything. A month. Yeah. <laughs> she's, like, trying to keep these kids that are all under the same roof as her, and she's just like, all right, you do this for the wedding, you do that. It's kind of impressive. <laughs> Her delegation skills. But Ron's dad, Arthur, understands. The twins also understand. And they actually help clothe the ghoul that lives in the attic of the burrow. And they clothe him with 
some of Ron's old pajamas so that it looks like Ron is extremely sick with spatter grout, which is a wizard disease that makes you smell really bad and just all that, like, you can't Super leave bed for days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's like basically coronavirus, but make it wizard <laughs> <laughs> and smelly. Yeah. But yeah. It's like coronavirus and leprosy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this weird combination of this super contagious, must be quarantined illness. So, yeah. I think that would have been interesting to see in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Because I mean, in the in the movie, of course, Ron's family now lives in a hut because they decided to burn down the burrow in the sixth movie, which I I still have a lot of feelings about. <laughs> they just decided to randomly burn down the burrow, and then they add two towers onto the hut for the wedding, which I understand, but like. <laughs> unnecessary it's magic i get it but you do whatever you want unnecessary so on the run so most of the for the most part i feel like a lot of this is pretty close to the book and movie but we miss a lot of grimold place so in the movie yeah yeah. in the movie we do go to grimold place but it's like kind of a stop along it's it's not even a stop it's like home base yeah yeah it's like a it's like a rest stop it's not you know your final destination in any by any means and so at Grimmauld Place, we see a little more backstory on Lily, which I always just love the Harry, his parents' backstory stuff. We see li- yeah. uh, Lily's letter to Sirius. So we go into Sirius's room and half of it is gone. Turns out Snape stole the other half. And there's a picture of baby Harry on a broomstick and he's like zooming in and out, which like, how cute, like, gradual baby with no scar, just zooming around. I have baby fever. It's fine. <laughs> I just love babies. <laughs> Nicole just mouths, me too. <laughs> not, not dropping any hints at all. It's fine. I'm getting it's a puppy. Fine. You are getting help. a puppy. You are getting a puppy. And she's finally getting married this year. We're putting it into the universe. And then we have the explanation that Dumbledore actually still had James's invisibility cloak when Voldemort came to visit them. So it begs to... You know, there's, like, this moment that Harry has a moment where he's like, why did Dumbledore have the invisibility cloak that could have saved my parents' lives? Ultimately, I don't think the invisibility cloak would have saved his parents' lives. Voldemort was there for murder, which he always is, and he would have figured it out. I think since yeah. since Voldemort could see people, like, he could see Harry under the invisibility cloak in the first movie and first book, he would have i feel like voldemort probably had similar powers to an extent and then while he's reading the letter he notices that his teas are like his mother's teas and so it's just like kind of this like cute little moment that's super insignificant and i think like a really important part of grief where you find these little things that are so they seem so insignificant but they remind you of this loved one that in Harry's case, he never met. And so it's like a nice little connection that he's like, well, I know I have her eyes and now I know that I write my teas the same way. Just really sweet. Yeah, it's cute. Oh, this, this hit me really hard when I was rereading the book. There is no creature redemption arc in the movie and that oh, it bothers the heck out of me because I... I remember when I was, like, re-watching everything and I was like, oh, I hate Creature. Like, he's so annoying. But there was part of me that was like, 
I don't know, but he's not so bad. And I've kind of had that same feeling throughout like rereading. I'm like, okay, well, I know Snape did this really shitty thing here, but ultimately he's a good guy. Oh, I remember not liking the Bathilda, Bathilda Bagshot for some reason. And I can't remember why. I always had this like good feeling about Creature and it was because of this redemption arc in the book. So Ron in the movie figures out that R.A.B. from the locket is Regulus Arcturo Black, who is Sirius's brother. And so they go and investigate his room at Grimold Place. But um, in the book, it's Harry who makes the connection. Kind of a small little difference, not really important. Voldemort actually needed an elf, so Regulus volunteered Creature. And you see, like, Creature tells this whole story about how Voldemort took him to this cave. And of course, that's the cave that we visited when they went to retrieve the locket in the sixth book with Dumbledore. And he forces poor creature to drink the potion until it's gone. And poor creature explains what basically what Dumbledore was feeling. It's just like all the worst feelings in the world come into your brain while you're drinking this drink. And it's just, it pains you. And ultimately, J.K. Rowling revealed that Dumbledore, what Dumbledore felt during the time that he was like drinking that and he was like begging to Harry was actually um, about his sister and how he felt that he hadn't treated her to the best of his ability that he should have. And it's just, it adds like a layer of sadness on Dumbledore's story. It adds this super sad story on an elf. And this story humanizes creature to Harry in a way that he had never seen before that Hermione had been trying to like explain throughout everything. And ultimately, he realizes that Creature has emotions too. Voldemort laughs the whole entire time that this is happening, and he leaves Creature there to fend for himself. Like, after he puts the locket in, he adds a little more potion in there. He leaves. Like, it just adds another layer of... Ah. Right, it adds another layer of evil onto Voldemort that's just like, oh, I just, I hate it. Now, Regulus, of course, asks for Creature's return, and Creature, of course, his code as an elf is that he must do anything that his owner says, or excuse me, his master says, and he's able to operate out of there, which Harry remembers he could not do which is total foreshadowing in the future for another elf that we all love. Regulus then asks Creature to show him where the cave is and instructs Creature to leave without him while he's drinking the potion with the locket and do whatever he can to destroy it and never tell anyone in the family what has happened. So, of course, when Creature realizes what's happening, he realizes that like he literally watches one of his favorite masters be dragged into the Lake of Inferi to his death, which, how traumatic. And then his mistress, Sirius's mom, was mad with grief, but Creature couldn't tell him anything. Like, oh, it just made you feel for this poor elf so hardcore. So Harry, in return, offers Creature the locket that Regulus um, put into the fake locket. And the elf, like, immediately Creature becomes so much kinder to them. He starts cooking for them. He starts calling him Master Potter. Like, it's just really, really sweet. And Harry really does learn how to appreciate him. Yeah. He, like, he even, like, leaves them food out. It's just super sweet. Also in the book, Lupin makes an appearance in at Grimold Place. And, of course, it freaks them all out at first. But 
it all works out. He offers to help them on their journey since he knows more magic than them. And he was obviously their defense against the dark arts teacher. Like, he, he's a really great wizard. And he offers his help because they'll experience stuff they'd never expect. Magic they have never even thought of. Turns out, this is when we find out that Tonks is pregnant. He's like, Tonks is with my, her parents, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, I shouldn't have ever married her. And he's just having all these regrets. And it's so sad to see Lupin in this just really sad moment of his life. Because he's like, you don't understand. You've only seen me at Hogwarts. You've only seen me at the Order. People, people shun me. Like, I am a social outcast. And Harry is so pissed off at him and he yells at him because how could a parent voluntarily leave their child? Like here's a guy who he admired telling him how he wants to basically put his child through the same crap that Harry went through and Harry gets so wildly angry. But yeah, I don't know. It kind of, the way that werewolves are viewed in the wizarding world kind of reminds me of like HIV and, you know, this was in a time that it was prevalent that his struggles are very similar to someone living with HPV or HIV, especially in the 70s and 80s. So very, very interesting. I'm not sure if that's like the actual correlation, but it kind of reminded me of that. They spend some time in the book. They spend a month observing how to get into the Ministry of Magic. Do you have anything to say on that? I mean, so much of 7.1 is just the timeline is insane. And like you said earlier, 7.2 is over a span of 24 hours and I I always wonder if that has to do with why 7.1 didn't do as well Mm. and just like them rushing through so much and so people felt like stuff was missing yeah like it almost needed to be three movies (laughs) right I mean to an extent honestly I was telling someone that they should have started making them two movies since like the third book i mean obviously there would be like 20 harry potter movies at this point but yeah, that's fine. i think honestly yeah i mean look at the avengers they have so many movies out and like it's not like they have a timeline for anything like people watch them and you can't explain that whole universe in just 10 movies and i feel the same way about harry potter i mean i understand a lot of things that they did take out but they could literally have a whole movie dedicated to ron on the quidditch team Different things or just like that. Do like what they did with WandaVision and like a 10 episode TV show. Yeah, for sure. And for that, I petition they bring <laughs> Adam Driver in as WandaVision. WandaVision. <laughs> <laughs> and Hermione is like her vision or something like that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Love it. Oh, we're, we just finished WandaVision. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think they spent so much time. There were, like, a lot of things that they maybe could have shortened. Like, I think they could have shortened the camping scenes a little bit in the... I I understand they put it in there to, like, obviously simulate that a lot of time has gone by. But we'll we'll get into that anyways. Um, It really doesn't make any sense to add in the observation things into the movie. Like, maybe just one scene of them returning and saying, like, Oh, yeah, I saw them taking the tokens and, all right, this is the plan whatnot whereas like in the movie you wouldn't really know what they're doing because they're fumbling with the tokens they're doing the polyjuice potion and everything and they don't they don't risk they don't say it so if you've read the book you know what's happening but if you didn't you'd be like oh how'd they how'd they know all this they do know that they have to get the locket from umbridge of course and they find that out because mundungus and that's pretty accurate to the book and movie harry snuck up behind hermione under the cloak 
during their scene in the in the dungeons when they're putting Reggie's Reggie Cattermole's wife on trial. And like <laughs> I love Ron's line where he's like, My wife? Oh my gosh, my wife is down there. And they're like, Ron, you you don't have a wife. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> Literally the best. But yeah, and it's only revealed that there are intruders in the Ministry of Magic because Harry takes Moody's eye, which, ugh, what a disgusting woman, takes Moody's eye from Umbridge's office door. Um, in the book, they also, it also is a testament to Harry, Ron, and Hermione's kindness that they take, they help an awful lot of Muggleborns escape. And it's incredibly, it's just incredible how far their kindness truly goes because they just try to save everyone, especially with Harry being dressed up as this known muggle hater. So I think that's kind of a cool little thing that we all wish we could do. So camping. So most of the scenes are pretty close to the book. Um, Some small things are left out, which honestly, I'm fine with that because I think it was already too long as is. In the book i felt like it was a small chunk of it and i feel like the movies drew it out way longer than it needed to be um i also didn't like that they made harry the most irritable the whole entire time we understand that harry is frustrated with how things are going he's frustrated that he doesn't know what's happening but throughout the entire time he's just trying to make the best of it in the book and in the movie he's just like angsty which I don't know. I mean, it makes sense for a movie, but I don't know. Um, And also, the movie kind of makes it so that Harry and Hermione are kind of a better fit. They have that... Yeah, their chemistry is just better during that... Yeah. That's true. Dan and Emma have really great chemistry, but Harry and Hermione's dance is, I think, is really cute. I just... I think it's cringy. <laughs> All right, who who Dana agrees? I make fun of it every time I watch it. <laughs> All right, that'll be a poll on the on the podcast on the um Instagram. <laughs> the dance, cringy, cringy cute. cute. See, I just I like the idea of someone just asking me to dance or just dancing with me when I'm sad because at first I'm gonna be like, okay, I hate you for doing this. You're so annoying, and like it just like brings me joy. In theory, it's cute, but I feel like the execution was cringy. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> but yeah, that kind of begs to question the that begs the question though. Um, do you think the series would have changed much if Harry and Hermione ended up together? Yeah. Yeah. I think it it would have been like. I don't know, Harry doesn't really, like, he has the whole thing with Ginny, but, like, that's not a huge part of the plotline, and I feel like it, having the main character have a love interest that's uh, a main character, because Ginny's kind of, like, a third-tier character. True. And I think it would have affected just, like, his motivations. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, because I really, I like that in the books, um, Ginny doesn't come with them, obviously, because Harry says, hey, Voldemort is going to go after people I love. You need to stay out of this. And, like, in the movies, it's just because they have terrible chemistry. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. The That would have I, – I don't think I, like, worded it correctly. But, like, I think it would have changed a lot. I mean, obviously, the Weasley family wouldn't be – they wouldn't be included in, like, the family, if that makes any sense. Yeah. 
happy reading, watching, and listening.